0: CHAPTER 108 THE TRUTH PART 5 ANSWERS AND RIDDLES The Defence Professor had set up a cauldron, floating it into place with a wave of his wand, another wave starting a fire beneath it. A brief circling of the Defence Professor's finger had set in motion a long-handled spoon, and it had continued stirring the cauldron without being held. Now the defense professor was measuring out a heap of flowers from a large jar, what's Harry supposed to be bell flowers, The indigo petals seemed luminous in the white light of the walls and curved inward in a way that gave the impression of a desire for privacy. The first of these flowers had been added to the potion at once, but then the cauldron had just gone on stirring itself for a while. The defense professor had assumed a position from which he could see Harry just by turning his head slightly, and Harry knew that he was within the defense professor's peripheral vision. In the corner, a fiend-fire phoenix waited, some of the nearby stone beginning to gloss over as it melted to greater smoothness. The burning wings shed crimson light that gave everything in the room a tint of blood and reflected in scarlet sparks from the glassware. Time is wasting, said Professor Quirrell. Ask your questions, if you have them. Why, Professor Quirrell, why must you be this way? Why make yourself the monster... Why, Lord Voldemort, I know you might not want the same things I do, but I can't imagine what you want that makes this the best way to get it. That was what Harry's brain wanted to know. What Harry needed to know was some way out of what was going to happen next. But the defense professor had said that he wouldn't talk about his future plans. It was strange enough that the defense professor was willing to talk about anything that had to contradict one of his rules. "'I'm thinking,' Harry said aloud. Professor Quirrell smiled slightly. He was using the pestle to grind the potion's first magical ingredient, a glowing red hexagon. "'I quite understand,' said the defense professor. But do not think overlong, child. Goals. Prevent Lord Voldemort from harming people. Find a way to kill or neutralize him, but first get the stone and resurrect Hermione. Convince Professor Quirrell to stop this. Harry swallowed, pushing down the emotion, trying not to let the water reach his eyes. Tears probably wouldn't make a good impression on Lord Voldemort. Professor Quirrell was already frowning, though from the direction of his gaze he was examining a leaf colored in vivid shades of white, green, and purple. There wasn't any obvious way to reach any of the goals, not yet. All Harry could do was ask the questions that seemed most likely to provide useful information— even if Harry didn't yet have a plan. So, we just ask about whatever seems most interesting? said Harry's Ravenclaw side. I'm up for that. Shut up, Harry told the voice, and then, on further reflection, decided that he was no longer pretending it was there. Four topics came to Harry's mind as being priorities from the standpoint of curiosity about important things. Four questions, then. Four major subjects, to try to fit in while this potion was still being brewed. Four questions. ''I ask my first question,'' Harry said. What really happened on the night of October 31st, 1981? Why was that night different from all other nights? I would like the entire story, please. The question of how and why Lord Voldemort had survived his apparent death seemed likely to matter for future planning. I expected you would ask that. Professor Quirrell said, dropping a bellflower and a white glittering stone into the potion. Do begin, everything I told you about the Horcrux spell is true, as you should realize since I spoke in parcel tongue. Harry nodded. Within seconds after you learned the details of the spell, you perceived the central floor and began pondering how the spell might be improved. Do you think the young Tom Riddle was any different? Harry shook his head. Well, he was, said Professor Quirrell. Whenever I was tempted to despair of you, I reminded myself how I was an idiot at twice your age. When I was fifteen, I made myself a horcrux, as a certain book had shown me, using the death of Abigail Myrtle beneath the eyes of Slytherin's basilisk. I planned to make a new Horcrux every year after I left Hogwarts and call that my fallback plan if my other hopes of immortality did not come to fruition. In retrospect, the young Tom Riddle was grasping straws. The thought of making a better Horcrux, of not being content with the spell I had already learned... This thought did not come to me until I had grasped the stupidity of ordinary people, and realized which follies of theirs I had imitated. But in time, I learned the habit that you inherited from me, to ask, in every instance, how it might be done better." To be content with the spell I had learned from a book, when it bore only a faint resemblance to what I truly wanted, absurd, and so I set forth to create a better spell. You have true immortality now? Harry was aware that, even with everything else going on, this was a question more important than war and strategy. Indeed, said Professor Quirrell. He paused in his potions work and turned to face Harry fully. There was a look of exultation in the man's eyes that Harry had never seen there before in all the darkest arts i could find in all the interdicted secrets to which slytherin's monster gave me keys in all the lore remembered among wizard kind i found only hints and smatterings of what i needed so I rewove it and remade it and devised a new ritual based on new principles. I kept that ritual burning in my mind for years, perfecting it in imagination, pondering its meaning and making fine adjustments, waiting for the intention to stabilize. At last, I dared to invoke my ritual, an invented sacrificial ritual based on a principle untested by all known magic. And I lived, and yet live. The defense professor spoke with quiet triumph, as though the act itself was so great that no words could ever do it justice. "'I still use the word Horcrux, but only from sentiment. It is a new thing entirely, the greatest of all my creations.' As one of my questions you said you'd answer, I ask how to cast that spell, Harry said. Denied. The defense professor turned back to his potion, dropping in a gray-flecked white feather and a bellflower. I had thought perhaps to teach you when you were older, for no Tom Riddle would be content otherwise. But I have changed my mind." Memory is a hard thing to recall-sometimes; and Harry had been trying to remember if Professor Quirrell had dropped any hints about this subject before. Something about Professor Quirrell's phrasing sparked a memory: "Perhaps you will be told when you are older." "There are still physical anchors for your immortality. Harry said aloud. It resembles the old Horcrux spell by that much, which is another reason you still call them Horcruxes. It was dangerous to say aloud, but Harry needed to know. If I'm wrong, you can always deny it in Parseltongue. Professor Quirrell was smiling evilly. Your guess is right, boy, for all the good it does you. Unfortunately, that wasn't a difficult vulnerability to cover, if the enemy was smart. Harry wouldn't ordinarily have made the suggestion, just in case the enemy hadn't thought of it for themselves, but in this case, he'd already made it. "'One horcrux dropped into an active volcano, waited so it would sink into the Earth's mantle,' Harry said heavily. "'The same place I thought of dropping the Dementor, if I couldn't destroy it. And then you asked me where else I would hide something if I didn't want anyone to find it ever again.' One horcrux buried kilometers down in an anonymous cubic meter of the Earth's crust. One horcrux you dropped into the Mariana Trench. One horcrux floating high in the stratosphere, transparent. Even you don't know where they are because you obviated the exact details from your memory. And the last horcrux is the Pioneer 11 plaque that you snuck into NASA and modified. It's where you get your image of the stars when you cast the spell of starlight. Fire, earth, water, air, void. Something of a riddle, the defense professor had called it, and therefore Harry had remembered it. "'Something of a riddle.' "'Indeed,' said the defense professor. "'It did give me something of a shock when you remembered it that quickly, "'but I suppose it makes no difference. "'All five are beyond my reach, or yours.' that might not be true especially if there was some way to trace the magical connection somehow and determine the location though presumably voldemort would have done his best to obscure it but what magic had done magic might be able to defeat pioneer 11 might be far away by wizard standards but nasa knew exactly where it was and it was probably a lot more reachable if you could use magic to tell the Tsiolkovsky rocket equation to bugger off. A sudden note of worry plucked at Harry's mind. There was no rule saying the defense professor needed to have told the truth about which interstellar probe he had horcruxed, and, if Harry recalled correctly, communication and tracking of the Pioneer 10 probe had been lost shortly after the Jupiter flyby. Why wouldn't Professor Quirrell have just horcruxed them both? The obvious next thought came to hurry. It was something that ought not to be suggested if the enemy had not thought of it, but it seemed extremely probable that the enemy had thought of it. Tell me, teacher, Harry hissed, would destroying those five anchors slay you? Why do you ask? Hissed the defense professor, with a lilt to the hiss that Parseltongue translated as snakish amusement. Do you suspect that answer is No. Harry couldn't think of how to answer, though he strongly suspected that it didn't matter in any case. Your suspicion is right, boy. Destroying those five would not render me mortal. Harry's throat felt a bit dry again. If the spell had no disastrous cost associated with it, How many anchors did you make? Would not ordinarily say, but is clear you have already guessed. The defense professor's smile widened. Answer is that I do not know. Stopped counting somewhere around one hundred and seven. Simply made a habit of it each time I murdered someone in private. Over one hundred murders in private before Lord Voldemort had stopped counting. And even worse news your immortality spell still requires a human death why great creation maintains life and magic within device created by sacrificing life and magic of others again that hissing snake laughter Liked false description of previous Horcrux smell so much, so disappointed when realized truth of it, thoughts of improved version came out in that shape. Harry wasn't sure why the defense professor was giving him all this vital information, but there had to be a reason— and that was making him nervous so you really are a disembodied spirit possessing Quirinus Quirrell yes i shall return swiftly if this body is killed will be greatly annoyed and vengeful i am telling you this boy so that you do not try anything stupid. I understand, Harry said. He did his best to organize his thoughts, remember what he had meant to ask next, while the defense professor turned his eyes back to the potion. The man's left hand was dribbling crushed seashell into the cauldron, while his right hand dropped in another bellflower. So... What did happen on October 31st? You tried to turn the baby Harry Potter into a horcrux, either the new kind or the old kind. You did it deliberately because you told Lily Potter. Harry took a breath. Now that he knew why the chills were there, he could endure them. Very well, I accept the bargain, yourself to die and the child to live. Now drop your wand so that I can murder you. In retrospect, it was clear that Harry had remembered that event mainly from Lord Voldemort's perspective, and only at the very end he had seen it through the baby Harry Potter's eyes. What did you do? Why? Why? did you do it trelawney's prophecy professor quirrell said his hand tapped a bellflower with a strip of copper before dropping it in i spent long days pondering it after snape brought the prophecy to me prophecies are never trivial things And how shall I put this in a way that does not make you think stupid things? Well, I shall say it, and if you are stupid, I shall be annoyed. I was fascinated by the prophecy's assertion that someone would be my equal because it might mean that person could hold up the other end of an intelligent conversation. After fifty years of being surrounded by gibbering stupidity, I no longer cared whether my reaction might be considered a literary cliché. I was not about to pass up on that opportunity without thinking about it first. "'And then, you see, I had a clever idea.' "'Professor Quirrell sighed. Ah, "'It occurred to me how I might fulfill the prophecy my own way, to my own benefit.' I would mark the baby as my equal by casting the old Horcrux spell in such fashion as to imprint my own spirit onto the baby's blank slate. It would be a purer copy of myself, since there would be no old self to mix with the new. In some years, when I had become bored with ruling Britain and moved on to other things, I would arrange with the other Tom Riddle that he should appear to vanquish me, and he would rule over the Britain he had saved. We would play the game against each other forever, keeping our lives interesting amid a world of fools." I knew a dramatist would predict that the two of us would end by destroying each other, but I pondered long upon it and decided that both of us would simply decline to play out the drama. That was my decision, and I was confident that it would remain so. Both Tom Riddles, I thought, would be too intelligent to truly go down that road. The prophecy seemed to hint that if I destroyed all but a remnant of Harry Potter, then our spirits would not be so different, and we could exist in the same world. Something went wrong, Harry said. Something that blew off the top of the Potter's home in Godric's Hollow Gave me the scar on my forehead, and left your burnt body behind. Professor Quirrell nodded. His hands had slowed in their potions work. The resonance in our magic, Professor Quirrell said quietly. When I had shaped the baby's spirit to be like my own... Harry remembered the moment in Azkaban when Professor Quirrell's killing curse had collided with his Patronus. The burning, tearing agony in his forehead, like his head had been about to split in half. I cannot count how many times I have thought of that night, rehearsing my mystique, thinking of wiser things I should have done said Professor Quirrell. I later decided that I should have thrown my wand from my hand and changed into my animagus form. But that night, that night I instinctively tried to control the chaotic fluctuations in my magic, even as I felt myself burning up from inside. That was the wrong decision, and I failed. So, my body was destroyed, even as I overwrote the infant Harry Potter's mind. Either of us, destroying all but a remnant of the other. And then... Professor Quirrell's expression was controlled. And then when I regained consciousness inside my horcruxes, it turned out that my great creation did not work as I had hoped. I should have been able to float free of my horcruxes and possess any victim that consented to me or that was too weak to refuse me. That was the part of my great creation that failed my intent. As with the original horcrux spell, I would only be able to enter a victim who contacted the physical horcrux, and I had hidden my unnumbered horcruxes in places where nobody would ever find them. Your instinct is correct, boy, This would not be a good time to laugh. Harry stayed very quiet. The potions making had come to a temporary pause, a space where no ingredients were added while the cauldron simmered for a time. I spent most of my time looking at the stars, Professor Quirrell said, his voice quieter now. The defense professor had turned from the potion, staring at the white illuminated walls of the room. My remaining hope was the horcruxes I had hidden in the hopeless idiocy of my youth, imbuing them into ancient lockets, instead of anonymous pebbles, guarding them beneath wells of poison in the center of a lake of inferi, instead of portking them into the sea. If someone found one of those and penetrated their ridiculous protections, but that seemed like a distant hope, I was not sure I would ever be embodied again. Yet, at least, I was immortal. The worst of all fates had been averted, my great creation had done that much. I had little left to hope for, and little left to fear. I decided that I would not go insane, since there seemed to be no advantage in it. Instead, I gazed out at the stars and thought, as the sun slowly diminished behind me. I reflected on the errors of my past life, they were many in that hindsight. In my imagination, I constructed powerful new ritual as I might attempt, if, I was free to use my magic once more, and yet confident of my immortality. I contemplated ancient riddles at greater length than before, for all that I had once thought myself patient. I knew that if I won free, I would be more powerful by far than in my previous life, But. I mostly did not expect that to happen. Professor Quirrell turned back to the potion. Nine years and four months after that night, a wandering adventurer named Quirinus Quirrell won past the protections guarding one of my earliest horcruxes. The rest you know... "'And now, boy, you may say what we both know you are thinking.' "'Um,' Harry said, "'it doesn't seem like a very smart thing to say.' "'Indeed, Mr. Potter, it is not a clever thing to say to me, "'not even a little, not in the slightest.' but i know you're thinking it and you will go on thinking it and i will go on knowing that until you say it so speak so um i realize that this is something that's more obvious in hindsight than in foresight and i'm certainly not suggesting that you try to correct the error now (laughs) But if you are a Dark Lord, and you happen to hear about a child who has been prophesied to defeat you, there is a certain spell which is unblockable, unstoppable, and works every single time on anything with a brain. Yes, thank you, Mr. Potter. That thought occurred to me several times over the next nine years. Professor Quirrell picked up another bellflower and began crumbling it in his bare fist. I made that principle the centerpiece of my battle magic curriculum after I learned its centrality the hard way. It was not the first rule on the younger Tom Riddle's list, It is only by harsh experience that we learn which principles take priority over which other principles. As mere words, they all sound equally persuasive. In retrospect, it would have been better if I had sent Bellatrix to the potter's home in my place. But I had a rule telling me that for such matters I must go myself and not try sending a trusted lieutenant. Yes, I considered the killing curse, but I wondered if casting the killing curse at an infant would somehow cause the curse to bounce off and hit me, thus fulfilling the prophecy. How was I to know? So, use an axe. It's hard to get a prophecy-fulfilling spell backfire out of an axe, Harry said, and then shut up. I decided the safest path was to try to fulfill the prophecy on my own terms, Professor Quirrell said. Needless to say, the next time I hear a prophecy I do not like... I will tear it apart at every possible point of intervention, rather than trying to play along. Professor Quirrell was crushing a rose as though to squeeze the juice out of it, still using his bare fist. "'And now everyone thinks the boy who lived is somehow immune to the killing curse, "'even though killing curses do not ruin houses or leave burnt bodies behind them, "'because it has not occurred to them that Lord Voldemort would ever use any other spell.' "'Harry again stayed quiet.' It had occurred to Harry that there was another obvious way that Lord Voldemort could have avoided his mistake, something that might perhaps be easier to see given a muggle upbringing instead of the wizarding way of looking at things. Harry had not yet decided whether to tell Professor Quirrell about his thought. There were both pros and cons to pointing out that particular error. After a time, Professor Quirrell picked up the next potion's ingredient, a strand of what looked like unicorn hair. I tell you this as a caution, said Professor Quirrell. Do not expect me to be delayed another nine years, if you somehow destroy this body of mine. I set Horcruxes in better places at once, and now even that is unnecessary. Thanks to you, I learned where to find the Resurrection Stone. The Resurrection Stone does not bring back the dead, of course, but it holds a more ancient magic than my own for projecting the seeming of a spirit and since i am one who has defeated death cadmus's hollow acknowledged me its master and answered all my will i have now incorporated it into my great creation professor quirrell smiled slightly i had many years earlier considered making that device a horcrux but decided against it at the time, since I realized that the ring had magic of unknown nature. Ah, such ironies does life play upon us. But I digress. You, boy, you brought that about. You freed my spirit to fly where it pleases and seduce the most opportune victim, by being too casual with your secrets. It is a catastrophe for any who oppose me, and you wrought it with one finger drawing wetness on a tea saucer. This world will be a safer place for all if you learn the retitude that wizard-borns absorb in childhood. "'And all this that I have just said is the truth.' Harry closed his eyes, and his own hand massaged his forehead. If he had seen it from the outside, it would have looked the mirror of Professor Quirrell in deep thought. The problem of defeating Professor Quirrell was looking increasingly difficult— even by the standards of the sort of impossible problems that Harry had solved already. If communicating that difficulty was what Professor Quirrell was trying to do, he was succeeding. Harry was starting to seriously consider the possibility that it might be better to offer to rule Britain as Voldemort's non-homicidal delegate, if Professor Quirrell himself would just agree to stop killing people all the time, even mostly, but that wasn't likely to happen. Harry stared at his hands from where he had sat down upon the floor, feeling sadness shading over into despair. The Lord Voldemort, who'd given Harry his dark side, had spent That long, thinking things over and reflecting on his own thought processes, and had emerged as the calm, clear-headed, and still homicidal Professor Quirrell. Professor Quirrell added a pinch of golden hair to the potion of effulgence, and that reminded Harry that time was continuing to move. The locks of bright hair were rarer than the bellflowers. I ask my second question, Harry said. Tell me about the Philosopher's Stone. Does it do anything besides making Transfigurations permanent? Is it possible to make more stones, and why is that problem hard? Professor Quirrell was bent over the potion, and Harry could not see his face. Very well. I shall tell you the stone's story, as I have inferred it. The one and only power of the stone is the imposition of permanency, to render a temporary form into a true and lasting substance, a power absolutely beyond ordinary spells. Conjurations such as the castle Hogwarts are maintained by a constant well of magic, Even metamorph magi cannot manifest golden fingernails and then trim them for sale. It is theorized that the metamorph magus curse merely rearranges the substance of their flesh, like a mugglesmith manipulates iron with hammer and tongs, and their body contains no gold. If Merlin himself could create gold from thin air, History does not record it. So, the stone, we can guess even before research, must be a very old thing indeed. In contrast, Nicholas Flamel has been known to the world for a mere six centuries. Tell me the obvious next question to ask, boy, if you wanted to trace the stone's history. Um, Harry said. He rubbed his forehead, concentrating. If the stone was old, but the world had only known Nicholas Flamel for six centuries, was there some other very long lived wizard who disappeared at around the same time Nicholas Flamel showed up? Close, said Professor Quirrell. You recall that six centuries ago, there was a dark lady called Undying, the Sorceress Baba Yaga. She was said to be able to heal any wound in herself, to change shape into any form she pleased. She held the Stone of Permanency, obviously. And then, one year, Baba Yaga agreed to teach battle magic at Hogwarts under an old and respected truce. Professor Quirrell looked angry, a look such as Harry had rarely seen on him. But she was not trusted, and so there was invoked a curse. Some curses are easier to cast when they bind yourself and others alike. Slytherin's Parcelmouth Curse is an example of such. In this case, Baba Yaga's signature, and signatures from every student and teacher of Hogwarts, were placed within an ancient device known as the Goblet of Fire. Baba Yaga swore not to shed a drop of students' blood, nor take from the students anything that was theirs. In return, the students swore not to shed a drop of Baba Yaga's blood, nor take from her anything that was hers. So they all signed, with the Goblet of Fire to witness it and punish the transgressor. Professor Quirrell picked up a new ingredient—a loose thread of gold wrapped around a pinch of foul-looking substance. Entering her sixth year at Hogwarts, then, was a witch named Perenelle, and although Perenelle was new come into the beauty of her youth, her heart was already blacker than Baba Yaga's own. You're calling her evil. Harry said, then realized he had just committed the fallacy of ad hominem to quoque. Hush, boy, I am telling the story. Where was I? Ah, yes, Perenelle, the beautiful and covetous. Perenelle seduced the dark lady over the months with gentle touches and flirtations, and the shy pretence of innocence. The dark lady's heart was captured, and they became lovers; and then, one night, Perronel whispered how she had heard of Baba Yaga's shape changing power, and how this thought had inflamed her desires. Thus Perronel swayed Baba Yaga to come to her with the stone in hand. To assume many guises in a single night for their pleasures. Among other forms, Perenel bid Baba Yaga take the form of a man, and they lay together in the fashion of a man and a woman. But Perenel had been a virgin until that night and since they were all rather old-fashioned in those days, the Goblet of Fire accounted that as the shedding of Perronel's blood, and the taking of what was hers. Thus, Baba Yaga was tricked into being forsworn, and the Goblet rendered her defenseless. Then Perenelle killed the unsuspecting Baba Yaga as she slept in Perenelle's bed, killed the Dark Lady who had loved her, and come peacefully to Hogwarts under truce. And that was the end of the pact by which dark wizards and witches taught battle magic at Hogwarts. For the next few centuries, the Goblet of Fire was used to oversee pointless interschool tournaments, and then it resided in a disused chamber at Bobatons until I finally stole it. Professor Quirrell dropped a pale beige-pink twig into the cauldron, and its color changed to white, just as it touched the surface. But I digress. Baronel took the stone from Baba Yaga and assumed the guise and name of Nicholas Flamel. She also kept her identity as Baronel, calling herself Flamel's wife. The two have appeared together in public, but that might be done by any number of obvious methods. And the stone's manufacture? said harry his brain working to process all this i saw an alchemical recipe for it in a book another lie Perronel was making it appear as though nicholas flamel had earned the right to live forever by completing a great magic that any could attempt and she was giving others a false path to pursue instead of seeking the one true stone as perronel had sought Baba Yagas. Professor Quirrell looked rather sour. It should come as no surprise that I spent years trying to master that false recipe. Next, you will ask why I did not kidnap, torture, and kill. Kill Perenelle after I learned the truth. This had not in fact been a question that had come into Harry's mind. Professor Quirrell continued to speak. The answer is that Bernel had foreseen and forestalled the ambitions of dark wizards like myself. Nicholas Flamel publicly took unbreakable vows not to be coerced by any means into relinquishing his stone. To guard immortality from the covetous, he claimed, as if that were a public service. I was afraid the stone would be lost forever if Perronel died without saying where it was hidden, and her vow prevented attempts at torture." further, I had hopes of gaining Perronel's knowledge, if I could find the right strategy to extract it from her. Though Perronel began with little lore of her own, she has held hostage the lives of wizards greater than herself, holding out dribs and drabs of healing in exchange for secrets, and small reversals of age in exchange for power. Perenelle, does not condescend to bestow any real youth upon others but if you hear of a wizard who lived gray-bearded to the age of 250 you may be sure that her hand was in play by my own generation the centuries had given Perenelle enough of an advantage that she could raise up Albus Dumbledore as a counterweight to the Dark Lord Grindelwald. When I appeared as Lord Voldemort, Perenelle raised up Dumbledore yet farther, parceling out another drop of our hoarded lore whenever Lord Voldemort seemed to gain an advantage. I felt like I ought to be able to figure out something clever to do with that situation, but I never did. I did not attack her directly, for I was not sure of my great creation. It was not impossible that I would someday need to go begging to her for a dollop of reversed age." Professor Quirrell dropped two bellflowers at once into the potion, and they seemed to merge as they touched the bubbling liquid. But now I am sure of my creation, and so I have decided that the time has come to take the stone by force. Harry hesitated. I would like to hear you answer in parceltongue. Was all of that true? None of it is known to me to be false, said Professor Quirrell. Telling a tale implies filling in certain gaps. I was not present to observe when Perenelle seduced Baba Yaga. The basics should be mostly correct, I think. Harry had noticed a trace of confusion. "Then I don't understand why the stone is here in Hogwarts. Wouldn't the best defense just be hiding it under an anonymous rock in Greenland?" "Perhaps she respected my abilities as a particularly good finder," said the Defense Professor. He appeared focused on his cauldron as he dipped a bellflower into a jar of liquid labelled with the potion symbol for rainwater. We are very much alike, the defence professor and I, in some ways if not others. If I imagine what I'd do, given his problem. Did you bluff everyone into believing you had some way of finding the stone? Harry said aloud, so that Perronel would put it inside Hogwarts, where Dumbledore could guard it. The defense professor sighed, not looking up from the cauldron. I suppose that stratagem would be futile to conceal from you. Yes, after I possessed Quirrell and returned... I implemented a strategy I had conceived while gazing at the stars. First, I made sure to be accepted as defense professor at Hogwarts, for it would not do to have suspicions raised while I was still seeking employment. When that was done, I arranged for one of Pernell's curse-breaking expeditions to discover a falsified but credible inscription describing how the crown of the serpent could be used to seek out the stone wherever it was hidden. Immediately after, before Perenel could buy up the crown, it was stolen. Furthermore, I left clear indications that the thief had possessed the power to speak to snakes. So, Perenelle thought that I could infallibly find the stone's location and that it needed a guardian powerful enough to defeat me. That is how the stone came to be held in Hogwarts, in Dumbledore's domain, just as I intended. Naturally, since I had already gained access to Hogwarts for the year. I think that is all of this that concerns you, if I speak not of future plans. Harry frowned. Professor Quirrell should not have told him that. Unless the strategy had somehow become irrelevant to any future deception of Perenal... Or, unless by answering so quickly, the defense professor had hoped to have people conclude that it was a double bluff, and that the crown of the serpent really could find the stone. Harry decided not to question this answer in parcel tongue.